Oh, today's going to be fun. Uh, just a quick survey. Uh, I know I do this from time to time, but how many of you, how many of you in the room are, are married? You're married. Okay, cool. A lot of married people. So you'll, you'll understand this. Um, if you're not married, I'm going to give you a little bit of information that will m- maybe help you get married one day. But the married people know this. Unmarried people, it's a theory, and I'm going to go ahead and confirm it. Um, men and women are completely different. And say one's better than the other. I just we're we're different. We're, we're every time I meet a couple that they're dating and they're like, oh, we're just alike. I'm like, no, you're not. Give it some time. You had one date. Just if y'all figure that out and let let me know because men and women are are, are different. I've been married to Shannon almost four months. We, we, we got married almost four months ago, and it's been a great four months. And, but we had, when we got married, and I talked about this not too long ago, but it, I, it's worth bringing back up. We, she had like a condo, a house, and we talked about it and thought it was best. When we got married, she moved into to my house, which became our house, which is kind of like really her house. But, um, but she, she, she and her dog, we have a blended family. She had a dog, I had a dog. So we have we a blended family, and, and they get along great. Um, but she, she asked this question um, as we're kind of talking about everything. She said, you know, once I move in, is it okay if I, um, like, redecorate some things? And, and I'm a man. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like men are, va- like some of you men, you don't even know that your wife got new curtains over the past six months. Like she got new curtains and you don't even know. So I, I was like, yeah, I said, you can, you can redecorate, you can do anything you want. Now we've been married almost four months and she has redecorated her house 4,782 times. And <laughs> it's amazing every time she does that. It's so much better. She went, so for example, this week she was like, I need to go to Hobby Lobby. Now I've never been to Hobby Lobby because I... I walked, like, I walked in one time, got so overwhelmed, didn't know what was going on, and I just left. It was, it, I, but I'm for it. I'm just, it's not for me. And she said, and she explained to me everything she was going to buy, and this is what I did. Now, men, like, it, especially if you're not married, let me just give you a, a little bit of a marriage advice. When you don't understand what she's saying, just go, uh-huh. That's all, that's all you got to do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Okay, and another piece of advice is that if she says, I need to talk to you about something that's really important, set the kitchen on fire. Um, that, that's, the, that's my other piece of marriage because it'll go better for you. But anyway, so she said, I'm going to go to Hobby Lobby. And she came back and she had all this stuff, like bags of stuff. And she's like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to look great. I'm going to go um, somewhere. And, and so I left and I came back and it looked amazing. It, like we've got lights in our house and we got these cool little things and we I, mean, I can't even tell you how much better it looks once she decorate or redecorated. Now let's let's just put a hypothetical out there and let me ask you how well this would have worked. Let's say that we're back to hey she okay we're getting married and you're moving in with me but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal, woman. Some of y'all are like, this ain't gonna work. <laughs> you you can you can move into my house, but but don't touch anything. Don't move anything. Don't we're not painting anything, we're not hanging anything, we're not it everything is going to stay just like it is. But you're just welcome to live there. Just quick question. How well would that have gone for me? Somebody said you would have got married. That's, that, that's true. Exactly, right? It, it, like the, the relationship works out well because I just said, hey, l- listen, not only are you moving into the house, it's our house. You do whatever you want to do. Now, the reason I bring that up is because some people's view of Christianity is Jesus. I want you in my life, because we've been told if Jesus lives in our life, we don't go to hell. And that is true, and I don't want to go to hell. So Jesus, Jesus, come into my life. But once you get into my life, don't touch anything. Don't, don't move anything. Don't talk to me about how I spend my money. Don't talk to me about what I do on the weekends. Don't talk to me about what I look at on the internet. 
Don't, don't talk to me about my politics, my worldview, or the way I think. You just be in the house when I need you. I'm just curious if, if that type of relationship would thrive because we know it wouldn't work in marriage. Why in the world would we think it works with Jesus? Jesus, when he died on the cross, didn't just die so that you and I could say, I'm not going to hell. He died on the cross to live inside of us so he can completely change us from the inside out. And now, sometimes that change goes faster than others, but Jesus is always changing us. And I've had people ask me, how do I know when Jesus is done with me? He takes you home. Until then, there's work to be done. I know there's work to be done in me. There's work to be done in all of us, which brings me to this series we're doing um, called Hidden in Plain Sight. I think that the church needs to step into some conversations that the world is having. And, and for the most part, and I understand why, because the message I'm going to preach today, I'm going to tell you, it's not easy. It's, it's easier to kind of talk to you all about things like the trichotomy and dichotomy of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Because all of you have wondered about that this week. You've been, it's been, you've been, dying, to, you, you've been dying to know about that, right? You, you, you have been dying to know the dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant. Because that matters. And if that does matter, that's why you have no friends, all right? Because you're not talking. The, the church, I, I think a lot of people say, I got to keep the, the worldview and my church view separate. And by the way, that's one of the reasons the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Don't miss, don't miss, don't miss next week, especially if you think that Christians should have nothing to do with politics. Um, don't miss next week because we're going to have a lot of fun. It's good. It's so good. In fact, bring a friend. Um, bring a friend. Y'all can walk out together, but bring a friend. All right. So anyway, so, so I want to talk about some things that the world's talking about and, and the church is being silent about. And I think, I think it's a perfect opportunity for us to step into the conversation, not in a mean way, not in an angry way, but in a, in a very loving way and engage people in dialogue. And one of the things that we need to talk about, and we're going to start it today, is called critical theory. Now, many of you have heard about this as critical race theory, but critical race theory actually started out as critical theory. Um, it made its introduction about 40 or 50 years ago in some colleges and universities, and now it's being disseminated. Eventually, it's going to make it to all of our middle schools and high schools. Critical theory. Now, for me, when I dive into something and study something that I don't know, I... For, I've got to make it as simple as possible for me to understand. I work and I work and I work to make it simple. So what I'm going to present to you today is a, like a 30,000-foot view of critical theory. Um, it's way more complex than this, but this is about as simple as I know how to make it because I don't want to talk about it for like six weeks. I want to talk about it for one week and then move on to something else. Um, I know for some people... You're going to love today. For some people, you're going to be like, he shouldn't have talked about that. For other people, you're going to be like, he, sh he didn't go far enough. But at the end of the day, I'm simply going to talk about critical theory and honestly, why it's a bunch of garbage. Critical theory has its roots. There's a guy you can trace it back to that had, had, he was very influential in the development of critical theory. His name is Karl Marx. Just so you know, all of his ideas on government and leadership are sucktastic. All right? <laughs> Just so you know where I stand. All, they, all of his ideas have failed over and over and over again. In fact, there's only one place that socialism and communism works, okay? It's called fiction novels. We good? Oh my gosh, y'all, it's tense now. Y'all just wait. Y'all be able to hear a rat fart in just a few minutes, all right? So, so we're going to talk, talk about critical theory. And what I'm going to do is we're going to walk through, and I'm going to talk about what critical theory says. Then we're going to look at what biblical faith says. And we're going to see if they hold hands or if they punch fist. Are you ready to go? You ready for this? 
Yeah, I don't think some of y'all are ready for this. But, but we're going to go there. I, somebody, somebody asked me, said, are you, are you scared about what people are going to say? <laughs> nah, I lost that fear about five years ago. I'm being serious. Critical theory says my identity is based on my gender, my race, or my sexual orientation. That this is where I find my identity. This is what critical theory, if you boil it down, this is basically what it says. But biblical faith says that my identity is based on who I am in Christ. And these stand in polar opposites. Now, just in case you haven't figured this out, we have an identity crisis in our country. And, and all of us understand that because all of us have been through an identity crisis personally, have, have we not? Back in uh, late 1980s, early 1990s, there was, it, was, it was horrible for me personally because there was a Christian rap group that hit the scene called DC Talk. And their, their primary rapper lead guy was Toby Mac. And, and the problem was he was white. About that same time, Vanilla Ice <laughs> came out, right? And he started out good with Ice Ice Baby, but then when he rapped in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle thing, it just kind of went downhill for him. But, but I was like, oh, my God, there are white guys that rap. I want to be a hip-hop artist. <laughs> now, there's nobody in this room. Nobody or watching online right now that has ever looked at me and said, you know what? I think you missed his calling. That boy's supposed to be a rapper. But I tried. I had a Christian rap group. I'd be like, yeah, boy, like Flavor Flav and everything. I had the big clock. I mean, I, was, I would do whatever it took. I can do some lyrics, but at the end of the day, I'm not a rapper. I, I thought I was. I had this identity crisis. And all of us have had an identity crisis before. We've embraced that. The, our nation is in the middle of an identity crisis unlike we've ever seen. And, and, and it's because of, of our identity is being based on some things. Now, there is first identity and primary identity. First identity is how we remember identifying. Like, for example... We just talk about it. Gender. Do you remember when you found out what gender you were? Because I do. I was in the bathtub. <laughs> about two years old. My mama was giving me a bath. I looked down. I said, Mama, what is that? She said, That is your dingaling. Chuck Berry's got a song about that. Did y'all, did y'all, okay, so we just mentioned that. She did. I said, I said, you, but you don't, you don't have one. She said, no, I don't. I said, what do you have? Let me pause. <laughs> I'm not going to tell y'all what she called what she had. Because I get so uncomfortable. It's, it's not a word that any of you would think of, but it's just a word till this day. If I hear it, I will scream like a girl and run out those doors. I, I, it just, but it was very clear that she did not have what I had. And I said, I started asking questions, you know, well, you know, and, and she began to answer. And I understood that I was a man based on a conversation that I had at two years old. Um, race. I figured out I was white. And for me, it was interesting because I wasn't born in South Carolina. I was born in California. I was born in Los Angeles. And all my friends that were my neighbors that I played with were Hispanic. My mother said when we moved back to South Carolina, I was four years old, I could speak English and Spanish fluently because all my neighbors spoke Spanish and I spoke English. And, but I remember asking my mom, you know, basically, you know, my Hispanic neighbors, I'm like, like why do we look different? And she said, well, they're, they're Hispanic. And she explained to me the differences. And I remember coming back to South Carolina, 
and being in school with people that were not white. My, what, what are we, is there anything different? No. The only thing that's different is your skin color. I remember my mother telling me about, but, but I am definitely white. Like nobody has ever looked at me and said, you got a little Indian in you? You got a little, you got, no. I'm, my, listen, my, my dad's side came from Ireland and we are white. Sexual orientation. I figured out I was attracted to girls in kindergarten. <laughs> Didn't take me long. Holly was her name. Hot Holly. She was so hot. Kindergarten hot. But every day when Holly would, this was, this was it, she would leave and, and she would be like, she'd go into her car and I would say, bye Holly. She'd say, bye Perry. That was, like, that was as far as it went, but that was, that was my first girlfriend. <laughs> and, and this is, so, so at the end of the day, I know, I know that I'm a, a male. I know that I'm white. And I know that I am, I, I guess, what our society would call straight. Like, I, I know these things about me. But, and then as I grew older, I could find my identity in certain ideologies. Like many would call yourself liberal or some people would call yourself conservative or moderate or whatever tag or label we want to put it on and we identify ourselves as certain things. But when I became a Christian, when I asked Jesus to come live in my heart, I, I had to make the switch from my first identity to Jesus being my primary identity. Because, see, Jesus didn't die just to be a part of our life. He came to be our life. So the reason I say all of that is to kind of correct some of the language that exists in, in maybe just in, well, absolutely in our country. So, for example, when it comes to gender, race, or let's just take sexual orientation. When somebody says, I'm a gay Christian, let me tell you the problem with that. You put something before Christian. You can replace gay with straight. You can replace straight with white. You can replace white with male. You can place, replace male with trans. Doesn't matter. Anything you put before Christian elevates that thing and diminishes Christ. And it's basically saying Jesus exists to prop up my political platform, which is not true, and not why he died. Jesus Christ is my life, period. I am a Christian, not a male Christian, not a straight Christian, not a Republican Christian. I am a Christian, period. That is my primary identity. And I believe with all my heart, if people, no matter our political preferences or our sexual orientations, if we could stop arguing about the first identity and come to the table with our primary identity, we would stop yelling at each other and actually start listening to each other and finding our identity in Christ. That's how you unite a church. That's how you unite a country. That's how you move forward, moving from first identity to primary identity. Paul wrote it this way. Paul said this, and it was so brilliant. He said, this means that anyone, anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. In other words, you got a new identity. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he was, he was obsessed with his first identity. If you read through his letters, he says, before I, came a, before I became a Christian, I was, I was proud of my Jewish heritage. I was proud of my religious heritage. I was proud of the fact that I was a Pharisee. But when he became a Christian, Paul wrote these words. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I am a Christian. Jesus is first and center in my life. That's my identity. And the reason that's so important is because Jesus is inviting all of us on a journey, an incredible journey. And it's, well, let me back up a little bit. I'm pretty sure all of us, most of us, most of us, there's always one, um, but I'm pretty sure that most of us can't stand the bullhorn people. And if you've never seen a bullhorn person, they, we, every once in a while they're in Anderson, they're in Greenville, they're the people that stand on the corner with a bullhorn and preach at people. You know what I'm talking about? Very effective for the kingdom of God. Um, cause, cause I met, and, and you always meet somebody, well, you know, my cousin got saved because of one of those people doing it. Okay, yeah, well, in the book of Numbers, a donkey talked too. So let's go talk to farm animals and see how that works, okay? They always scream one word, though. They're always screaming one word. It's one word over and over and over and over again. And the word they usually scream is repent. Repent, repent, repent. Now, in their mind, repent means change the way you behave. But that's not what repentance means. The word repentance comes from a Greek word called metanoia, which means to change the way you think. Jesus did not say change the way you behave. Jesus said, let me come into your life, and over time, I will change the way you think. By the way, his thoughts, I'll get into this in just a second, are better than our thoughts. He said this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Jesus said, I didn't come to be a part of your social or political agenda. I came to be your life, and everything else revolves around that. That's where critical theory and biblical faith can't hold hands. The second area is critical theory is all about my thoughts. Biblical faith is all about God's thoughts. Now, I told you all that I had to boil it, I had to make it simple. This is the best way I could, I could make it simple for, for me to understand. Now, mankind has had some great inventions over the years, right? And, and let me pause. Let me, let me pause. Let me just say this because it's going to happen. I said mankind. I don't have time to keep up with all the brand new pronouns. I'm just going to stick with the pronouns I find in the scriptures. And the scriptures says mankind. The, man, the scriptures say human and the scriptures say woman. That's where I'm going to go because that's where the scriptures go. I don't say that in an angry or mean way. I just have to stick with the scriptures on this stuff. D don't worry. It gets way more tense, all right? So mankind has had some incredible inventions. Like, for example, air conditioner. I love air conditioner. I'm so thankful for air conditioner. I remember one year I lived in a trailer park, and the trailers with no air conditioner were $70 a week, and that's all I could afford. And I lived in a $70 a week trailer with no air conditioner. It sucked. Somebody, I bet you're just glad to live inside. Nope, it sucked. It had no air conditioner. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day because it was like a week and a half ago, it was like, 98 degrees, like you just sweat. You just wake up and you're sweating. And, and, it, and by the way, for those of y'all brand new to the South, it's September and I've heard all, I've heard people saying, oh my gosh, falls here, falls here, falls here. No, no, no. This is September and South Carolina. And September and South Carolina goes, oh, it's cool, it's going to be cool, it's going to be cool, it's going to be cool. Now it's hell! Like that's the way we feel. <laughs> Next week it's going to be in 90. We're going to be sweating again, all right? So I'm thankful for the, for, the, for the man or the woman, I don't know, maybe it's a woman that invented air conditioner. I'm sure we could Google it and figure it out, right? Ice cream. Great invention. Thankful for the guy or the girl that came up with ice cream. How did they come up with it? I don't know. Started with somebody in the pasture staring at a cow. 
He looked at his buddy. He's like, what do those things underneath do? <laughs> I don't know. Probably should squeeze one. <laughs> Give me that bucket. <laughs> huh. What are we going to do with that? Eventually, that turned into ice cream. I don't know how it got there, but I'm thankful it got there, aren't you? Like, there's, there's man's thoughts, and then there's God's thoughts. Now, here's the deal. God loves, God, I mean, because I've had people, so I've had people, and you've met these people. They're so heavenly minded. They're no earthly good. God made air conditioner. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He gave us the wisdom to do it, but he didn't do it. And, and so what happens is we get ideas when it comes to technology and science and, 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 our, and, and humans are pretty smart when it comes to these things. The problem is when we begin to think that our thoughts can supersede God's thoughts when it comes to morality. And so people that are in line with critical theory, you hear two <laughs> main things out of them. This is where it's going to get incredibly tense, but hang on because I saved the most tense for the last part, okay? Here it is, the first one. I'm living out my truth. Do you know that God loves us too much to limit the world to our own personal truth? Talk about an identity crisis. It's cool having a teenager. I got a teenage daughter, 14 years old. I thought I was cool and hip until she became a teenager. <laughs> and in conversations over the past six months, I'm like, Freak, I'm an old man. Like, I, I, I really am. I'm, I, I'm embracing it. I'm embracing it. But we were at dinner a couple weeks ago, and she made me, a, she just, she's always teaching me stuff about pop culture that I didn't know about. And she taught me about this thing. I'd never heard about it. Some of you have. Called furries. Now, it's going to get tense, but it's fine with me. I don't care. Furries are human beings that identify as animals. Not making this up. I, I got a text message after the last message on my phone from a parent who withdrew their kid from school because their kid would not accept the fact that all of their friends were becoming furries. They... So, so this is happening where, where kids identify as animals. It's happening in our public school system. Ask your teenager about it. They'll probably know a furry. We've got, I know a lady in this church. Her, her kid goes to school. There's a kid in the class that identifies as a cat, wears cat ears to school every day and can completely disrupt the class anytime they want to. And nobody will say anything to this person because after all, the parents would defend the child and say they're just living out their truth. Parents, I want you to listen. <laughs> That's not letting your kid live out their truth. That's child abuse. And let, let me, hold on, hold on. I, I, I want you to hear this, but you, you just got to say it. Because somebody might be here going, I'm wrestling with this. I want you to listen to me. You're not a freaking furry. <laughs> You're not. You're not. I'm living out my truth. No. 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 You're not. This is dangerous. This is dangerous. I'm living out my truth. Have you ever noticed living out my truth usually disregards anybody else, period? How Christ-like is that? Let's go here. I didn't go here last service. Let's just go here. 
transgender men competing in women's sports. Now, let me ask you this question. It's just very simple. Is it okay for a man to beat a woman? Yes or no? No. But in transgender sports, men beat women, and we call it okay. Because after all, they're just living out their truth. The problem is when our truth isn't God's truth. Which leads to the second, if it feels good, do it. That'll get you arrested. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. I, listen, if this were true, let me tell you all, a couple weeks ago, I got stuck in traffic, and I'm, I'm getting better. But I'm not where I need to be, and there's a lady in front of me, and we had like the green, you know, where you got the green turns where you can turn, you know, turn left? It's, it's just green. It's green. You can see it because it's green. It's got the arrow. <laughs> but the lady in front of me didn't see it. She had to get that text or that email or whatever she was doing. I, she was, and we completely missed the turn. Now, in the moment, you know what would have felt good? Because I drive a Toyota Tundra. And she was driving a Prius. <laughs> what would have felt good is putting it in drive and stomping the gas and just <laughs> that would have felt good. But that would have hurt another person, yes or no? Yeah. So at the end of the day, if it feels good, do it is a great idea if you want to feel good for the moment. But this idea right here ultimately leads to so much destruction. Because how many have ever had your feelings lead you astray? That's why, that's why God said in his word, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Which is why we, as followers of Christ, instead of taking our agenda to God and asking him to bless it, should be open to what God wants. I meet too many people. I, social media this week, this is so fun. I, by the way, I'm not even going to look at the comments on this message. Um, I, had a, I had a lady reach out to me, and she said she left a comment on one of my posts. I actually commented back. She said, just to let you know, Jesus was a socialist, but y'all aren't ready for that conversation. I replied, I put, um, no. <laughs> but some people want to take, that's taking their thoughts and putting it on Jesus. By the way, for those of y'all that think Jesus was a socialist, he wasn't. He wasn't a socialist. And I can explain it with just one parable that he told. And there's many examples, but there's one parable he told, the parable of the talents. He had three people. He gave one person five talents. He gave the next one two, and he gave the next one one. Uh -huh. Was he fair? No. Was he good? Yes. Fair is a place where you rod rods. Everybody needs to be equal, said the person that doesn't want to work. Told you I don't care. God goes on to say in this, he said, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As, as a follower of Christ, we need to be open to Jesus changing our thinking into a better way than we currently are thinking now. Now, now God has revealed himself to us in two primary ways. The first being the person of Jesus. As we read through the scriptures, Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus, a man full of grace and truth. Did Jesus ever hold back from telling the truth? No. 
He was always full of grace, but he never, when he met the woman at the well in John chapter 4, was he full of grace? Absolutely, because he embraced a woman that everybody had rejected. But did he tell the truth? Yeah. He said, all right, well, let's talk about the fact you've had like five husbands and you're shacked up with a guy. That's the Southern translation. <laughs> when he went, the woman caught in adultery and they were going to stone her. Was he full of grace and truth? Absolutely. Because he said, let the one who has never sinned cast the first stone. And nobody throws a rock. And then they all walk away. And he looked and he says, is nobody left to condemn you? She said, no. She, he said, then neither do I condemn you. Grace. Go and sin no more. Truth. Now, let me push the pause button and say, most Christians get that backwards. Go and sin no more. Then I won't condemn you. Jesus reversed it. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more, which, by the way, wasn't a command. It was permission to live a free life, understanding that she didn't have to be that way anymore. The person of Jesus and the scriptures. Now, this is where people always go, well, you know, the Bible's a book of, you know, outdated ideas. Is it? What if we could just get, like, the Republicans and Democrats to just love your neighbor as yourself. Because a lot of those people in Washington, D.C. love themselves. So if we could get them to love other people like they love them, world's problem solved. Right? The scriptures, outdated. Cause, and the reason we say it's outdated ideas is because we don't like the truth. I remember when Karis was a baby. She, she loved life, except for when you put her in the car seat. See, I grew up without a car seat. Y'all remember, like, like, as a baby, you could, like, ride on top of the car, and then and, and it just duct tape you, and you'd be fine. But we talked about that a few weeks ago. If you're a parent, you put in the car seat, and you get the car seat, and you put your child in the car Now, most of you, you, none of your children got calm when you put them in the car. They don't like the car seat, right? But you put them in that car seat, and, and, and you put the little buckle, and another buckle, then you put another buckle, then you, you just about cut their circulation off, and when they start turning blue, you're like, okay, we got it. But you put them in there. Now, did they enjoy the car seat? Yes or no? No. Was the car seat necessary to protect them? Yes. God's word's like a car seat. We might not like it, but if we'll follow it, it l let's, just, let's just put it this way. Everyone in this room, our biggest regrets in life did not come because we took God at his word and followed through. Save the best for last. Critical theory is victim victimizer. Biblical faith is overwhelmed overcomer. I talked about this a few weeks ago, but I, but I hated my fifth grade teacher. She was probably possessed by Satan. <laughs> I've had people ask me, do you think Satan possesses people? I think he has over history. I think he has. I think you can make a real good case that Hitler was possessed by Satan himself. Hitler and Mishnevin. <laughs> Remember the first time I heard her name, I was like, dang, by a vow, woman, Mishnevin. Like, what? Anyway, so I was, <laughs> I was failing the fifth grade, and I remember I got my report card and came home. And my mom and dad, mom, I had a no BS mom and dad. I don't know if you had one of those. Um, that, I had a mom and dad that, that actually backed the teacher. And so I remember they were like, why, what, what is this? I said, my teacher hates me. <laughs> and I remember my mom, she was always, she, she tricked me. Every time she would trick me, she would ask me trick questions like this. Perry, is every person in your class failing? I was like, no, ma'am. She said, then you have no excuse. If one person in your class is passing, then you have no excuse. Made me so mad, but she was right. See, critical, critical theory 
tells you that you are a victim. And because you're a victim, there's victimizer. So, so out of this idea comes ideas like defund the police, which I'll, just, I'll say it. I'll say it on the record. I'll, I'll, say it, I'll say it again for the people in the back. One of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard in my life. Defund the police. I'm, I'm personally thankful. I'm personally thankful for our policemen, our firefighters, our first responders. Like, I'm thankful for all. By the way, have you ever noticed the people calling for defund the police have private security and they live in gated communities? Just throw that out there. But, but, that, but that happens is, is well, the police are, the police are, are causing me to be, be a victim. Hey, I've, I've been in some situations. I was in a situation one time where I, had to, I watched a police officer shoot another man. I watched it. Well, it happened right in front of me. It was a justified shooting. This man had the gun pulled on the police officer. The police officer had said, stop three t- times. This is before the days of body cams. And, it didn't, and so the police officer shot him. It was a justified shoot. The guy didn't die, but I saw it with my own eyes. I was in a situation with, with the police where two police officers had their guns out, drawn, and pointed at me. This is before Christ. This, this, some of y'all are like, was, was this last week? I'm, no, 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 no. This is like before Christ. This way hadn't been recently. But, but so I know what it's like to be in a situation like that. But at the end of the day, police, think about this. Think about the police for just a second. Every day, that man or that woman, this police officer, walks out of their house, kisses their family, and it could be the last time they get to do it. And you're the victim? Critical theory, victim, victimizer. It, this is where, well, crap, let's just talk about it. Let's talk about Black Lives Matter. Yeah, you don't, you don't get this in church. Here, you can't talk about Black Lives Matter because you're white. Well, I can talk about rape and I'm not a woman. I can tell you rape is wrong. Black Lives Matter. People have asked me so many times, what do I think about that? The phrase is absolutely true. Anybody that would say the opposite you are a racist. And we live in the South. There are places in the South that are not aware that the Civil War is over and they are not aware of the Emancipation Proclamation. They have no idea. Are there racist people in the world? Absolutely. And God, I pray if somebody here is racist that that Jesus does a change in your heart. I, I 100%. And, and don't come back, well, all lives matter and, and blue lives matter. And, and just, the, just the phrase, just the phrase, black lives, absolutely I agree. I will always agree with that. But the organization? Let me tell you the problem with the organization. The organization says if you're black, listen, yes, I have spent time on their website. Lots of time. The organization says if you're black, you're a victim. That racism is systemic. If racism is systemic and in the system, it can never go away. If it can never go away, then there is no hope. There is no change. It, is, it will always be based in anger, fear, resentment, and frustration And that ideology does not hold hands with the gospel. See, it's not victim-victimizer. It's 
is overwhelmed and overcomer. Because while I am definitely white, I can tell you that Rosa Parks wasn't a victim. Rosa Parks, when they told her to go to the back of the bus, she wasn't a victim, she was an overcomer. She, 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 she just refused to go. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was not a victim. He was an overcomer. When he gave his speech at the Washington Mall, still one of the greatest speeches ever in, in history, and I've had people ask me, do you think in that moment, in the 1960s, that he, do you, do, do you think he thought that there would be a person of color on the Supreme Court one day serving as vice president, president, secretary? Do you think he actually thought those things? Absolutely he did because he said he had a dream. And you know what? If he was a victim, he would have quit the first time he was thrown in jail for an unjust reason. And that happened to him many, many, many times. But instead of playing the victim, he was an overcomer. In fact, one of the greatest parts of his I have a dream speech is when he talked about we shall overcome. Any ideology that places us as a victim, we will never escape it. And I'm sorry, but the man I follow named Jesus, they put him in a grave and declared him dead. But he was not a victim. He was an overcomer. And if that, if that is who lives in me, and that is who lives in you, then you can overcome anything that this world throws at you. Hey, listen, you want to exchange war stories? I was sexually abused as a child. I'm not a victim. I'm an overcomer. I wrestled with an addiction to alcohol. I'm not a victim. I'm an overcomer. I was verbally and emotionally abused as a child, but I'm not a victim. I'm, a, I'm not looking for an excuse to, to, I'm not looking for an excuse to give you for my dysfunction. If Jesus can raise from the dead and he lives inside of me, that means there's always a way out and there's always a way through. And if Christ lives in you, there's always a way out and there's always a way through. I'm not saying that we're not going to go through things that overwhelm us in life. All of us have those situations where we are overwhelmed. But Paul said in Romans 8.37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. That means Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus can break the chains of addiction. Jesus can break the chains of anxiety. Jesus can break the chains of depression. Jesus can break the chains of a past that haunts us and holds us back. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus can help you overcome. You and I are not victims of circumstances. We are overcomers who Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our King. And in Him, we really can do all things because He strengthens us to do it. It all, it all goes back. It all goes back. It all, it all goes back to where we find our primary identity. Is Jesus. Is Jesus. Our primary identity is Jesus, who we identify with. Anything we put before Jesus elevates something above Jesus and diminishes Jesus. My hope, my prayer for all of us is that we would live completely surrendered, completely surrendered to him. Would you stand for closing prayer? Father, I just want to ask right now, over these next few moments, God, that any of us in this room that put anything before the word Christian, 
would lay that at your feet right now. And God, we would, we would just stand here completely surrendered with our whole hearts and our whole lives belonging to you, saying, here I am, fully surrendered, here I am. Jesus, thank you so much, God, for the reminder that we belong to you. With heads bowed and eyes closed standing here today, maybe you just need to take where you stand and make it your personal altar and say, Jesus, I want to be yours. I, I want to identify as a follower of you. I want to be I want to be a Christian. Just, just a Christian. I want to identify myself as a follower of you, Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. Maybe this is your first time to church, your first time back to church in a long time. You're here and you, you, you understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, wants to save you, wants to come into your life. If that's you, then right where you stand right now, I just want you to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life. I'll lead you in this prayer. Right where you stand, you just pray this prayer in your heart. You can just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross rose from the grave. And right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Come in and take over. I surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name I pray. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, if you just prayed that prayer right where you're standing, do me a favor and shoot your hand straight up in the air. Straight up in the air because I want to celebrate it with you. Amen. I want to pray with you. Amen. I want to pray for you. Amen. If you're online, Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you so much for the hands in the air, Jesus. Thank you so much, Jesus, that as a church, we have never had a Sunday that you didn't save someone. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that you're doing in our church. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that you're doing in our lives. May we walk out of this place today, Jesus, knowing that we've been in your presence, Knowing that any problem we have, you'll help us overcome. Knowing any doubt we experience, Jesus, that we still have you. And you'll take us out of it or you'll take us through it. But in any way, Jesus, we'll have victory in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your truth. May we walk in it this week. May we walk in it in faith. We love you, Jesus. And we ask this in your name. Everybody to the green said, Amen. Are you glad you came to church today? Me too. We'll see y'all back here next week. God bless.